We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word, guide and lead us with what we should, you desire us to see from this. And we just thank you for all that you've done for us, your love, your care, your protection, and your, your desire for our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Chronicles chapter 27. Starting at verse 1, we uh, just had Uzziah die. He tried to go into the temple to burn incense, and God made him a leper. His son was co-regent for him while he was a leper, and his father died, and now his son's going to take over. So, Second Chronicles 27, verse 1. Jotham was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah did, howbeit he entered not into the temple of the Lord, and the people did yet corruptly. He built the high gate in, of the house of the Lord, and on the wall of Ophah he built much. Moreover, he built cities in the mountains of Judah, and in the forest he built castles and towers. He fought also the king of the Amorites, Ammonites, and prevailed against them, and the children of Ammon gave gave him the same year a hundred talents of silver, 10,000 measures of wheat, and 10,000 of barley. So much did the children of Ammon pay unto him both the second and third, second year and third. And Jotham was mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord. And I want to stop there even though we're almost at the end of that chapter. So we have Jotham taking full charge of the kingdom at 25 years old. And it's very interesting that it says in verse 2, he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah did. So he is a righteous king. He's doing things the right way. And then it said in there, howbeit he entered not into the temple of the Lord. So this is kind of an interesting statement because there's two, two ways that people read this. Uh, one is that he didn't go to the temple at all. I don't buy that. He's a righteous man, and it tells us in verse 6 that he prepared or followed God in all of his ways. I believe that it just is clear, a clear statement. He did everything that his father did, except he didn't try to go into the temple to offer incense. All right? Uh, I don't know which way it is. I've, I've read, I read different uh, uh, commentators on it, and, both, and they go both ways. I don't buy that it was that he didn't go into the temple, though, mostly because of verse 6. God is blessing him. It said he was righteous. He did the things right. So I don't believe that he did not go to the temple at all. I think it just meant that he did not go into the temple to presume to be a priest. Uh, now, I don't know what the right answer to that is, but that's okay. It doesn't really matter. But that's my answer to it. You know, going to verse 6, it says he prepared his ways before the Lord. Uh, so I don't believe that he wasn't going to the temple to offer sacrifices and, and things the right way. I just believe that it says, uh, because I could, you could picture this. I mean, dad got, dad got cursed at the, prison, at, the, at the temple. You could imagine him saying, there's no way I'm going to go into the temple. But I can't see him being described as a righteous man preparing his ways for, to God if that was his attitude to not go to the temple. Uh, but there are commentators that say that was exactly what happened. Dad got cursed with leprosy at the temple, so he says, I'm not going anywhere near that temple. Uh, I just don't really think that that's what was going on there. Um, but the way it's worded, nobody knows for sure what it means, and I can't say directly what it means either. Uh, but my attitude is that he went there, just didn't, you know, and all the statement is is he didn't try to usurp the position of the priest so I don't know what the answer is I don't know that anybody else out there I checked all kinds of different sources and and even looked in Jewish sources and either people totally ignored that comment which irritates me when I want to find something that find something out that everybody irritates or they gave me both directions that didn't make sense and I can see the argument for both ways um, but I'm going to go with that he just didn't try to usurp the priest the priest role all right, um, but he comes in, and it says, even though he was doing everything right, the people did yet corruptly, morally, in uh, not right. The king is doing what's right, 
but the people are getting more evil. And this is the sad thing. We see this in Israel over, the, over time in the, in the Bible. We see it in our nation where the people keep getting worse and worse. No matter what our leaders do, no matter what churches do, it seems like people are continually getting more corrupt. And, you know, it's, this is why as much as I'm encouraging our church to pray for revival and seeking revival, I'm wondering, have we gone too far as a nation? that God is going to say, nope, you've crossed the line. Where that line is, I don't know, but you know, just look at it and see how wicked things are becoming. People are doing what's right in their own eyes and singing praise about it. And then the rest of the world says, oh, you're doing so wonderful. And when something is done right, you know, the case of Roe versus Wade being overturned, everybody criticizes it. And it's like, what is wrong with our nation? And it's like, okay, we're starting to do things that are righteous and people get angry about it. Why? Because the light shines on them and they realize that what they're doing is wrong and it causes problems. And this is where it's happening even in Jotham's time. He's doing right. He's leading the people in the right direction and they keep getting worse. And we're going to see as... Jeremiah talks to him as they get to the end days that they just keep doing worse. In Jeremiah's day, they actually told him, leave us alone, quit prophesying to us because we want to do what we want to do and we're being blessed, so quit, quit bugging us. And it's kind of paraphrased, but that's basically what it says. You know, we're happy doing what we're wanting. Our gods that we're following are blessing us. You just leave us alone. What are we hearing in our day and age? Hey, we're being blessed. Everything's going, going just fine. We're doing what we want. Quit telling us we're doing wrong. And it, it sounds so interesting that you know, the Bible repeats. Jotham is raising up a righteous nation. He's trying, and the people are getting morally corrupt. And this is what he's looking at. And then he goes on to say, He built the high gate of the house of the Lord, and on the wall of Ophel, he built much. So these are two different places that we can look at. The high gate. He went to the temple and he built up the gates. He built up the gates of Jerusalem. And he built the, the wall of Ophel with much. So he's building these places up. The high gate is on the Mount, Mount Moriah. It's right, it was to the, above, the, above the temple. And Ophel is the lower gate. In, or the lower city. So he is improving Jerusalem to be able to be defended. He's very wise in what he's doing. And if that wasn't enough, it says, Moreover, he built cities in the mountains of Judah and in the forest. He built castles and towers. I don't know how these guys could afford to build all the stuff that they built. Some of it was with slave labor, I'm sure, but you still had to buy materials and get... Uh, Lumber, lumber harvested and, and, and uh, rock quarry, you know, quarried out of the, the mountains and well, delivered. Well, yes, he's getting some money from them too. That would be your, your, your building inside with a big wall around it. And the towers, we've talked about the towers several times. They build, build these towers that were defensible in case you couldn't get to the, the fortresses or the, the main cities. So this is what's going on. He's got all of this going on, and he's, he's in a building process. And then it goes in verse 5, He fought also with the king of, Ammon, of the Ammonites and prevailed against him. And the children of Ammon gave him that same year a hundred talents of, of silver, 10,000 measures of wheat, and 10,000 of barley. Now, if you look this up, is his silver that he got was approximately $164,000 worth of silver, give or take, give or take. That's a pretty good chunk of silver. He received 625,000 bushels of wheat and barley. That's a lot of wheat and barley. I really don't know how many people that would feed. A fair, fair number, I would think. And this was, and he collected this for three years. So, he is subjecting the Ammonites to his rule. And so, yes, he's using their silver to, to build these things. But, you know, and you think about this. 
He's at war with the Ammonites, and we're going to look that he was at war with just about everybody else around him as well, you know, around him as well. He's at war, and he's building at the same time. That's, How can you do that? That's quite a bit of uh, uh, use of the people. What does this mean? Probably just like Solomon, he was probably taxing the people pretty heavily and putting many of them to work. So he's getting a lot done. And it says, so Jotham was mighty because he prepared or ordered, established his ways before the Lord his God. He honored God and God blessed him with victories, the ability to build, the ability to fortify Jerusalem. Everywhere he's turning, they're being blessed. Now it's quite interesting He's being blessed because he's honoring God and the people that are not following God and they're feeling they're being blessed because of their dis even though they're being disobedient. What ends up happening over and over when people, before God moves, the people seem to always believe that we're being blessed even in our disobedience. God doesn't see us. God doesn't care. There is no God, whatever term they will use, because they're being blessed. What has happened in our country? We've been blessed, we've been blessed, we've been blessed, and people are going, well, we're being blessed. It really doesn't matter what we do, so there must not be a God that cares. I've heard people say that. Well, I've been, I'm being blessed. I don't follow your God. Who cares? I'm still getting good things happening to me. But over and over in the scripture and in history, we see even in the midst of blessings, God sends his prophets to say, repent and turn away from your sin. And then judgment falls if they don't repent. And I really do believe that much of what we're seeing in America right now is the judgment of God coming upon our, upon our country and our world and the world in general. Now, the world is writing it off to climate change. They're writing it off to all kinds of problem, problems that you know, people are causing. And yes, people are causing the problem with their disobedience to God. Not the way that they think that it is, but because their disobedience to God, we're seeing issues coming about. And I think they're only going to get worse. And we need to be able to hold on to God. God is going to always give us blessing as his children. We may not recognize it as blessing when it comes our way, but he will meet our needs. He will take care of us and deal with the issues that come our way if we will just stay faithful to him. Jotham is following God and the people are rejecting God. And yet we see these blessings. A mighty building program in the com com country. He's beating the, beating the enemies back. Very interesting that that's basically Jotham's history. That's the story that Jotham has that we have about Jotham. He beat the Ammonites. He built cities. He built, uh, built uh, towers and everything seemed to be going good for him. And I kind of was curious if, the, if kings gave us more, kings gave us less. He, built, he had some victories over the Ammonites and he built cities. And I kind of was thinking about this, how many times when we're obedient to God is our story seem to be fairly simple? Nothing really great. I mean, he was honored king. He did a lot of good things for the world. But there's not a lot of conflict in his life. There's not a lot of trials in his life. And yet, so many times when we talk to people who are following God, they be you know, bemoan the fact that they have no big things happening in their life for some reason. And yet, those who have all the big things happening in their life wish they had a nice, simple life that was blessed and, and have nothing going on. And I see this over and over in the scriptures. Even with Uzziah, we had a very small statement about Uzziah, except for when he rebelled and tried to go into the temple. And over and over again, we see this process of we don't learn a lot about people that follow God and are obedient to God. And so I think for us as people, that's something we need to be very much aware of. If we're not having a lot of trials and hardships and, and big things to write, write home about, it's probably good. Probably means we're being just we're being a Jotham with and having blessings. 
I'm not going to say his life was perfect by any stretch of the imagination. He had battles to fight. He had his father that you know took over the throne because his father was a leper. Lots of things that could have been said, look at all your problems, but very little of it is written about in his story. His story is, took the throne, won some battles, built, 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 up, the, built up the nation. I think this is great for us. And we need to be really accepting of this when there's not a whole lot going on, saying God is in charge. And I, I think this is important. And I think his attitude was, God's taking care of things. I'm following God and I'm being blessed. And for 16 years, let's see, yeah, reigned 16 years. 16 years, things just go fairly smooth for him. Now what's happening in the nation is the people are getting more corrupt. They're disobeying God. They're, they're trying to do everything. And we'll note one thing that we didn't see in here, often we heard they got rid of the idols, they got rid of, they, they cleansed the high places. We don't see Jotham doing this. Now it is possible that his father had done, done away with it so much that there wasn't any idols to get rid of out in the open. But we don't see it in Jotham that he was getting rid of idols and trying to get people to worship God. It just says that he established himself after what God did. And so this is something just very interesting about Jotham. It's a very short chapter. And it ends verse 7. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and his ways, lo, are they, they are written in the books of the king of Israel and Judah. He was 25 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 16 years in, in, in Jerusalem. And Jotham slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Ahaz, his son, reigned in his stead. Pretty simple story. You know, apparently nobody wrote books about him other than his daily, daily activities. So kind of a, I don't know, is it a sad story or a happy story? I don't know. There's very little story for us to judge him by. And I think that's probably good in the long run, that he had just a simple story to be, to be written, to be told. All right, so now we're going to look at chapter 28, Ahaz. Ahaz is an evil king. So, verse 1. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, but he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord like David his father. For he walked in the ways of the king of Israel. He made also molten images of Baalim. Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the sons, son of Hinnon and burnt his children in the fire after the abomination of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. He sacrificed also and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Wherefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria, and they smote him and carried away a great multitude of them captive and brought them to Damascus. And he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel who smote him with a great slaughter. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> so here we have a new king. All right, Ahaz, 20 years old when he, begins, when he begins his reign. This means he was old enough to have known his grandfather as well. Now, did he know his grandfather? We don't know when, when Uzziah got struck with leprosy and how long, how long he was leprous. But he's got a different attitude about following God. They don't mention his mother. Yeah, I didn't notice that one, but yeah. Um, he probably had a mother, well, I don't know, his mother should have been righteous, so, you know, because of his other, his father. But his reaction might have been, at four years old, he sees that his, his grandfather has been judged, and he kind of probably took that to heart. You know, so he may have said, I'm not going to follow this God that struck grandpa and took grandpa away, uh, without recognizing the fact that grandpa deserved what he got, or worse, I mean, Grandpa could have been just burnt up in the temple and not just given leprosy. But his attitude is to turn away from God. And it says, He did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord like David his father. So he does not do what's right. And then as was mentioned, he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made also molten images for Baalim. So, so he's making idols of Baal, 
And if you remember when it says the ways of the kings of Israel, what is the sin of every single king in the, in the, of Israel is the worship of the golden calf. So he's worshiping golden calves. He's worshiping Baal. And we see that he even does worse. He goes, moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnon and burnt his children in the fire. Which is probably worship of Moloch. Because Moloch's worship was to burn your children. I can't imagine the burning of your children. All right. But many, many people did. And, and the idea was that if you gave up something precious, it's part of the sacrifice. I give up something precious. In this case, my child, I'm going to be blessed by the God of power, which was Moloch. I just can't imagine it. You know, uh, but he burnt his children after the abomination of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out of before the children of Israel. So this was what was going on before they came into the promised land. Burning of their children, the worshiping of, of these false gods. And he, we see how bad he went because it says he was doing things. He was believing in idols. He was believing in the idols. And he was wholeheartedly following after the idols of, Is of the northern kingdom, the idols, the idols of that area, the, all the gods of the, that went before him. It's hard for me to picture. The Israelites came in and God said, get rid of all of that evil. Now we know that they did not get rid of all the evil and this is what happened when it came out. All those idols stayed around to haunt them. The worship of these idols haunted them for their entire existence. And they kept falling for these idols. And, you know, I, I almost understand in one sense, how many times do we think that God's not acting fast enough in our own life? So they were going, well, God's not doing it for us. Maybe one of these other gods, especially Israel right now, is very, you know, prosperous. They're, they're winning battles. Uh, all around them, these nations are winning battles. They go, well, they got pretty powerful gods. Our God's not working fast enough. Maybe we'll go worship other gods. Now, I have never gone to worship other gods, but I have wondered, God, can you just move a little faster? Can you do things a little, little, little clearer so I can see what's going on? And I haven't had a temptation to worship other gods. But, you know, I've had my problems over the years. I've been a workaholic and not followed God. I've done, I've done things that weren't so, so wise. These guys just turn straight to idols instead of having the kind of idols we have. Anything that's placed above God is an idol. They would go to these guys and it says, he sacrificed also and burnt incense in the high places, on the hills and under the green trees. So he is finding all kinds of gods to worship. And this is a sad thing because we see here that these idols are still all over the place. They're still in the high places. They're still, on, they're still worshiping the Astoros and the, and the forests. And the king now is joining his people. He is as evil as they are. And we're going to see the consequences of this were great. Wherefore the Lord God delivered him into the king, the hand of the king of Syria. And they smote him and carried away a great multitudes of them captive and brought them to Damascus. And he also was delivered into the hand of the king of Israel who smote him with a great slaughter. So Syria is beat him, beating him up. Israel, the northern kingdom, is beating him up. And we're going to see that that's not all as we get into this chapter. Verse 6, For Pekah, the son of Remelah, slew in, in Judah 120,000 in one day, which were all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of, of their fathers. And Zikri, the mighty man of Ephraim, slew... Masaiah, this king's son, and Azrikam, the governor of the house, and Elikam, that was next to his, the king. And the children of Israel carried away captive of their brethren 200,000 women, sons and daughters. Okay, so Pekala, the son of Ram, slew in battle 120,000 people. That's a lot of soldiers being killed in one battle. And it says the reason was, even though they were valiant men, they had forsaken or abandoned the Lord. This is kind of a really sad thing, is when people abandon God, 
great judgment falls upon the people. Now, did all 120,000 abandon God? Quite possibly. But the thing I want to point out is many times the righteous are judged along with the unrighteous. Not they may not have all been bad. I'm sure the majority of them were because of where they're at. But and it says here that they also it says that his son was killed, the governor was killed, and the next next in line, Elkanah, were killed. So there's a lot of people killed in this battle. But more importantly, it says the children of Israel carried away captive two hundred thousand women, sons, and daughters. This is, this is quite a loss for the kingdom. He's losing three leaders. He's losing 120,000 uh, arm, army soldiers. And he has 200,000 women and children taken away from him. This is quite a blow to the kingdom. All because of the sin that they were creating and the pulling away from God. And again, were all 200,000 of these women and children evil? Don't know that that would be a true statement. But there's this problem coming in, and they were carried away. As, and they took spoil as well. So what did they do in this battle? Basically, 320,000 people of the southern kingdom were either killed or carried away in captivity and great spoil. That's a lot of people being taken away. And verse uh, 9. But, so something changes here. A, a prophet of the Lord was there whose name was Obed. And he went before the host that came to Samaria and said unto them, Behold, because the Lord God of your fathers was angry with Judah, he has delivered them into your hand, and you have slain in a rage that reached to heaven. And now you purpose to keep under the children of Judah and Jerusalem for bond, bondmen and bondwomen unto you. But are there not with you, even with you, sins against the Lord your God? Now hear me, therefore, and deliver the captives again that you have taken captive of your brethren, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. So here's his message. The prophet comes in, and he goes before them and he says because God was angry with them he allowed you to be victorious so far so good this is going to be said later on of Nebuchadnezzar when he takes this the southern kingdom Just Nebuchadnezzar I turned them over because of their sin and their anger but you were so vicious to them you're going to be judged all right and this is basically where this this statement is coming from right here uh, Obed goes to them. You have, he's delivered them into your hand, and you have slain them in a rage that reaches to heaven. He goes, you have gone overboard. All right? He has gone, you have gone way overboard on this battle. Now, how this happened, I don't know. Did they brutally kill men who surrendered out of that 120,000? We don't know. We just know that 120,000 were slain. But the prophet's statement is, you have gone overboard. You're, in your rage, your, your, your anger, you have gone and really killed too many people. So I believe that we had a couple chapters back where they killed the, the people of Ammon who surrendered. I believe possibly these guys have killed those who surrendered or had, had given up. And God says, you have gone way too far. And it goes, and now you purpose, you, do, you intend... To keep under the children of Judah in Jerusalem for bondmen and bondwomen. He goes, you've taken your brothers and sisters, your, your family, and you're going to make them slaves. And this is a big deal. God is not wanting them because all along God has said, even, even when he did approve slaves, he says, not your own people. Not your own people should be slaves. And if they do sell themselves into slavery to pay their debts, every seven years they were to be freed. So he's going, this is a problem. You cannot be doing this. And then he goes, and then another but. But are there not with you, even with you, sins against the Lord your God? And what he's saying is, they're getting what they deserve. Don't you have sins that you deserve this? 
I find this very interesting because here is a righteous prophet of God going to the northern kingdom that worships Baal, golden calves, Moloch, and all these other different idols and saying, your sins before God are going to bring judgment upon you. And this is going to be a very interesting thing. And the funny thing is that people listen to them. As we get into this next section, there are people that listen to them. And they're listening to this message. But again, we've got 200,000 people being marched from Judah to Damascus, to, to Syria, and, uh, to, excuse me, to the northern kingdom, uh, Samaria. And this was not good, and God is calling them on this, saying, this is a problem. You cannot be taking your own family and making them slaves. So it says, verse 11, Now hear me, therefore, and deliver the captives again, which you have taken captive, your brethren, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. So he's saying, this word for deliver is allow them to be set free. All right, it's not just deliver them, but free them. You cannot, he says, you know, he's talking for God, and he says, you cannot make these people, your, your, your family members, slaves. Release them, send them back home. And, and it says, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. I read this statement, and I almost hear Jonah going through the city of Nineveh. Uh, Repent, for in 40 days you're going to be destroyed. The same type of thing. Repent, or God is coming to destroy you. You have plenty of your own sins, and you cannot be doing this. And I think this is important for all of us, because we as Christians are called to love our neighbors and our enemies and all of that. Why? Because we know what we deserve. And God loves us. And here are the prophets telling them, God used you to judge these people, but he's not wanting you to destroy these people. And he goes, if you continue down this path, you are going to have the same thing happen to you. And this is going to be a big issue. Verse 12, Then certain of the heads of the children of Ephraim, Azariah, the son of Johanah, Vehariah, uh, the son of Meshilamoth, and Jehizkiah, the son of Shalom, and Amasah, the son of Hadai, Hadlai, stood up against them that came from the war and said unto them, You shall not bring the captives here. For whereas we have offended against the Lord already, we intend, you intend to add more to our sins and to our trespasses, for our trespass is great. And there is a fierce wrath against Israel. So the, the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the princes and all the congregation. So here we have a couple leaders coming up. And I don't know if they went to battle or not, but their hearts have been struck by the message. All right? And this is kind of an amazing because these people are not known for their following of God. They're following idols. And yet God's message pricks their heart. And they come up and say, you know, you shall not bring these captives, you shall not bring them in. And there's some sympathy, maybe it's when they look at it, you know, they're not seeing soldiers of war being marched to their cities. They're seeing women and children. And this is a big deal. Now, we kind of look at this and say, so, you know, yeah, that, that makes sense. Well, in that day, it didn't make sense. When you won the battle, you took the women, and they became your, your slaves, and your, or, or worse. And the children became your slaves, and you conquered those nations, and they were yours. So in many ways, I don't understand why they have this softness in their heart other than God working on them. Same family, but they've been battling each other for generations now. But God worked on their hearts and said, you're not allowed to do, you're not going to do this. And it could be because it's family. I mean, it's, it's strange when we read it. And they could understand that there have been these times when good has been done. So there's plenty of examples where they see mercy going to, to God's people. And 
what caused this one? I don't know. It wasn't that impressive of a speech from what we read. But the point I want to make on this is when God is in it, it doesn't take much. You know, when we speak for God, we do things for God, the littlest things can be greatly blessed. And we need to understand that is that when God is behind it, things are going to work. And this message is a very simple one. You, you guys can't do this because you're, you, you have great sin. And if you want to, you, you're being used by God to judge them because of their sins, but you have just as much sin. And these three leaders said, no, we can't do this. Uh, you, you intend to add more sin to our trespass. These guys are recognizing that they're sinning against God, which is a miracle in, in and of itself, that they recognize that they, they had sin against God. And they're going, you're going to add more to our trespass, and there is fierce wrath against Israel. And it says, and the armed men left them there. <laughs> and the spoil. So this is quite a big deal that they've done. They've left their captives, and they left all the gold and silver and clothing and everything else that they have conquered and just left it. This is a miracle, almost revival. <laughs> okay, It's not true revival, but the people are going, okay, if we're, we're going to be judged, we'll just walk away from it all. A very interesting, interesting phenomenon that happened. And it says, and the men which were expressed by name, rose up and took the captives, and with the spoil they clothed them that were naked among them and arrayed them and shod them and gave them food to eat and drink and anointed them and carried all the feeble of them upon donkeys and brought them to Jericho, the city of palm trees, and to their brethren, and then they returned to Samaria. So it says they went through. I don't know how naked naked was in this particular case, did it mean that they were dressed in rags? Did it mean they were literally naked, which would not have been uncommon in that day either? But these guys had just been marched and probably force marched for probably 100, 150 miles. And these are women and children that weren't used to that kind of thing. And they said they didn't have shoes. Some of them were feeble. And so they're, they're taken to the spoils and fixing everybody up. They're putting clothes on them, they're putting shoes on them, they're giving them food, and if they were too weak to walk back, they put them on donkeys. Now, we read that and say, okay, so what's the big deal? Well, a donkey was not a cheap form of transportation, okay? And we've, I've shared this with you, most of the time we think of, well, everybody, then, everybody in that day had a donkey or a horse or, a, or an ox or something. Well, they might have had a horse or an ox for plowing if they were lucky and had some money, but most of these people did not have animals for riding. They would have animals for food. They would have goats and sheep. If they had an ox, it would be for plowing, and you don't try to ride an animal that's used for plowing because they're not, they're not tamed for riding. Even if you had a horse or a mule for dragging the plow, it wasn't trained for writing. So these guys are giving quite a gift. These guys are really showering attention upon these captives. And maybe they're just trying to go overboard saying, if we do enough good things for God, he's going to be okay with us. And I wouldn't pass that off. Not that God said that, but it would not surprise me because even to this day, people, including Christians oftentimes, if I just do enough good things for God, God will like me. God will bless me. And this is a sad thing because that is not doing anything for God, really. Now, there is the law of sowing and reaping, so if I do good, good will return to me. But too many people say, if I just do enough, if I just do some good things, God will bless me. And, you know, how many times do we pray, you know, God, I need you to get me out of this trouble? You know, uh, God, I know I caused this trouble, but if you just get me out of it, I'll do something for you, whatever that something might be. You know, this is the way we try to bargain with God all the time, and the world is even worse than Christians. You know, they're always trying to bargain with God. If I just do enough good, and I think this is what these guys are saying, if we just take care of these 200,000 people, 
and we treat them really, really good, maybe God will not bring the, the judgment that he says he's going to bring. And I think that's what their motivation is behind this. Now, maybe they truly got motivated by God. I don't know. But I think this is what they're doing. And it says they took them to Jericho, the city of palm trees, to their brethren, that they, and they returned to Samaria. So they took them close enough to Judah that they were able to get home fairly easy. And this whole area, Jericho and everything, was being... Uh, and the problem of Jericho was right there, very close to Jerusalem. And I think they took them the long way so they didn't go through Judah. Uh, because Jericho is way down uh, by the Jordan River between the two seas. And so they took them to Jericho. And there they could go home. And they could get back to their homes. Now this is quite a benevolent offering that they're making. You know, we, we could have made you slaves. We wanted to make you slaves, but we're going to let you go home. And we're going to get you really close to home. So we're going to get you to Jericho, and you can make an easy walk from Jericho to wherever your homes are in Judah. And so this is quite a blessing that they get. And it says once they got them to Jericho, they returned back to Samaria, probably quickly, just in case, because there's only, the, only them and whatever men they had with them to get back. So here we're seeing a blessing being put upon these 200,000 women and children that were out, that were taken captive. All right, now we're going to see further consequences for Ahaz. Verse 16, at that time did King Ahaz send unto the king of Assyria to help him. So he's calling to Assyria, which right now is the number one nation in that world. He's, they're the empire that's being developed. And... For again, the Edomites had come up and smitten Judah and carried away captives. And the Philistines had also invaded the cities in the low country and of the south of Judah and taken Bethsheba, Beth Shemesh, and Ashelon, and Gedaroth, and Shokah, with the villages thereof, and Timnah, and the villages thereof, and Gimzal also, and the villages thereof. For the Lord brought Judah low because Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had made Judah naked and transgressed sore against the Lord. So here we have, he's had problems with Syria. He's had problems with the northern kingdom. Both of those are in the north and the northwest. Then he gets the Edomites from the southeast and he gets the Philistines from the west. He has got problems on his hands. <laughs> All right. And all of this, is, God says, is because he rejected God. The leader rejected God, and the nation suffers, and suffers on all sides. They're being attacked from every direction. All right? And in the process, he goes, uh, Assyria, would you come and help me? I got lots of troubles. Now, we've talked about this. When you call for help from nations because you're in trouble, you, you might get help, or they might see a weak nation. This is what they see in, in him in this case, verse 20. And Tilgar Pilnisher, king of Assyria, came unto him and distressed him, but strengthened him not. <laughs> he decided, okay, you're in trouble. I'm going to make life even worse for you. All right. And Ahaz took away a portion out of the house of the Lord and out of the house of the king and of the princes and gave it to the king of Assyria, but he helped him not. He took the money and didn't help. Not nice. <laughs> I give you, give, you, give you a tribute to have you help me and then you don't help me is not nice. And in the time of his distress did he trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that king Ahaz. For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him, and said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, therefore I will sacrifice to them, that they may help me. But they were the ruin of the king of Israel. So here we have, he sends tribute to the king of Assyria and gets attacked. He was hoping still to buy him off. Maybe if I give him enough. You know, uh, I didn't give him enough 
bribe the first time, I'll give him more bribe. And that's what I said. He took it from the house of the Lord, which couldn't have had much in it because they're not worshiping God. And he took it from his house and he took it from the, the princes and tried to buy him off and still had problems. And then his answer to all of this in verse 22 was, or verse 23, hey, God is not helping me. The, the Syria was able to beat, beat me. I'll go worship their gods. Kind of a bizarre situation. He's dishonoring God and disobeying God, and so he says, well, I'm going to go to other gods to help me. And he offered sacrifices to their gods. Why? And it says very clearly, because they beat him. And it says, but this, but they, the gods of Damascus, were the ruin of him and of all Israel. So there was not a blessing from this. Verse 24, And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut them in pieces, and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. And he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem and in every in several cities of Jerusalem of Judah, he made high places and burnt offerings unto other gods and provoked the anger of the Lord God of his fathers. So his answer, when all of these trials come, we're going to shut down gods. So he goes, either has them sent in or goes into the temple and takes all of the utensils for worshiping God and and I don't know if he got into the holy place or not, it just says the utensils. And he cuts everything up, melts it down to make idols and to worship them. And it says, and he shut the doors of the temple. Now, this literally when it says shut means to lock. I don't know if he boarded up the, 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 the doors to the temple and the, and the the walls walled around the temple so nobody could go. But his answer was, God has departed from me. I'm not letting anybody go worship God. This is kind of a sad state. This is how bad Ahaz is. You know, brat, whatever. I mean, uh, I don't know if his, the treatment of his grandfather had anything to do with it, the fact that, you know, things didn't go well, but he started worshiping the idols around him. Uh, and shut up the walls of it. And not only that, it says he built altars on every corner in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if every corner means literally every corner, and it could because a lot of times if you go back and you see the pictures and they dig up these things, there were altars on every corner of these ancient cities for lots of gods. And these weren't big, big altars. They were usually little tiny altars where you would just offer your little grain offering or your money offering or whatever and but at every corner there'd be this little offering and he he put altars all over Jerusalem and it wasn't enough in Jerusalem he went all around Jerusalem and all around Judah he put these altars to these gods he's going God did not deliver me the God of Israel hasn't been helping me I'm going to worship the God of Damascus because they they beat me and if I do enough worship of those gods maybe I'll get blessed and get victorious. When we get deceived, we oftentimes will go way overboard in trying to get something to happen. If I just make enough money, if I just work hard enough, if I just do whatever, give enough offerings to whatever gods, maybe I'll get a blessing. But this comes from that whole work ethic. If I just do enough good for whatever God, and sometimes we try to do it to our own God, if I just do enough good, I'm going to get blessed. And in this case, it did not work. All he did was provoke the anger of the Lord more. And this is the problem that he has, and he's going to lose his kingdom. And it says, in every... Uh, and now the rest of his acts and all his ways, first and last, behold, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? And Ahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city, even in Jerusalem, but they brought him not to the sepulchres of the kings of Israel. And Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his stead. So he did not get the honor of being buried in the graves with David. 
Now, I kind of find this interesting. The people are rebellious, but yet they don't give him the honor of being buried with David. Probably because they're seeing their whole nation fall apart and being conquered. So they're going, well, he's not a great enough king to be buried with David and Solomon and those other kings in there. We'll bury him. You know, he was a king. We'll bury him in Jerusalem, but he's not going to be buried in the king's, king's graveyard. And this is kind of an interesting, interesting thing. And Hezekiah becomes king. Now, Hezekiah is going to be one of the better kings of Israel. And we're going to have lots of stories about Hezekiah because Hezekiah was a good king and there's a lot about him. He's one of the better kings of Israel. But we're not going to study him today. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we close and ask you to give us a wonderful evening. Teach us all that you want and prepare us with all of all that you have for us. And we just thank you for your love, your care, and Lord, for your blessings. And help us to always understand your blessings. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes. And the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God. And this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.